Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Woo! Welcome to all those of you who are new here. I'm excited that you're here. We are excited. We're a crazy family of people who uh, at Soma here who love Jesus and uh, believe he's alive and we're supposed to live with him and walk with him in every part of life to make him known and um, if you're looking for a place to belong, a place to be seen, we would love to have you be a part of this family. Um, an easy way to do that, if you didn't come with a friend, um, there's a connect table just right outside those doors. You can get connected at any point. Feel free to do that, but we are glad you're here with us this morning. Um, we are here to celebrate today, as Brittany said, um, that death does not have the final word. Romans 5 in Scripture says that through Adam, death in sin has reigned and it spread to all people. We see it. We see it in our lives. But the power of life that came through Jesus, it's not like the sin. Sin comes to condemn. It comes to control. It comes to destroy and kill. But Jesus came and brought grace and forgiveness. And in Romans 5, it says it abounds much more than the sin. And it's made available to all people. Life has overcome death in Jesus. Death and darkness flee in the face of light and the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. Amen? That's what we're celebrating this morning. I'm pumped. and Because this is why it's also awesome. It's not just a future thing. This is also the future that Jesus brings to the present. It's a now thing. It's a today thing. It's this morning right now with you, with me here. Jesus is here to do that. So I'm excited. We're going to be looking at John's gospel this morning. We're not just going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but we're also going to look at how the, re- um, the resurrection that Jesus did with a friend, one of his friends named Lazarus, a few months before he was actually crucified and then resurrected. And John experienced, John's, um, Jesus' friend John, the writer of the Gospel of John, he experienced and witnessed a lot of these things as a young man. And then he, later in his life, 56 years, 50 to 60 years later, he wrote about these things he experienced and seen with Jesus, his, his really good friend. And in John uh, 20, the latter part of the gospel, we get resurrected Sunday. Mary witnesses the empty tomb, and she goes and tells John and Peter, and they're just, they haul over to the, the gravesite. Uh, John, for some reason, wants to make it a point that he beat Peter. I don't know if he's trying to show him up or what, but he, he gets there, and he couldn't even get walk in. He's like, what's going on? And Peter goes in, and he sees the reality that Jesus is not there anymore. It's empty. And then John comes and he sees, and then all of a sudden, this crazy thing starts happening. Jesus starts appearing to these disciples. And in fact, over over 500 eyewitnesses. And they're just like, well, come on, this can't be real. Could this really happen? This moment of disbelief touching his body. And then he just starts eating with them. And he starts hanging out with them. And he starts encouraging them, teaching them for like over 40 days. And that's the Easter John experience. That's the Easter John remembered. It's not just a historical fact that Jesus rose from the grave. It's personal. It's relational. It's gritty. It's real. And for John, he witnessed his best friend make the most audacious claim and come through with that claim. Many times Jesus said, I'm going to die, and in three days I will rise. And John witnessed the reality of that. I don't know if you've ever experienced, I know I've had a couple times in my life, experienced certain times where you, uh, maybe it's like a, uh, uh, you interviewing for a job or there's like a, a gift that's going to be given out and there's a room full of people and there's just this overwhelming confidence that comes over you where you're like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get that job. You can almost just claim it. It's going to happen. Then you get it and you're like, wow, like, that was a weird little moment. I knew I was going to get it and I got it. It's kind of like a, a more famous story of that. Babe Ruth, 
you know, that famous home run he hit. He, like, takes his bat before he swings, and he's like, I'm, this sucker's going over that way. And he actually hits it that way and hits it over the fence. And it's like, what? How does that happen? That's amazing. Who does that? Well, Jesus made the most audacious claim ever. He said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be dead for three days, and I'm going to rise again. And he did it. It's amazing. It's so amazing. That's what John got to witness. That's what all these disciples got to witness. So for Easter, John reflects on his deeply relational, and it's transformed his life. So we're going to look at specifically John chapter 11. You can turn there in your Bibles if you like to. But I'm going to give some context first. I'm going to just take a few chunks as we walk through John 11. I'm not going to go through every verse, but I'm going to take a few chunks. But I want to give some context as you're turning there. The resurrection miracle Jesus performed, right, with his friend Lazarus, that's going to happen. Um, it's three to four months before Jesus' own death and resurrection. And for context in John 11, it describes a relationship, an interaction that Jesus has with three of his close friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So that's what's going on with John 11. They lived in a place called Bethany, and it was a few miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus would hang out at their house often. That was a place for him to kind of hang and be. These were his friends. They ate together. They hung out together. They fellowshiped together. There was just deep communion with, with these guys. And they had this relationship. And a few months before Jesus was crucified, Lazarus got really sick. But Jesus actually, we see in the John account, and especially in the beginning of that chapter, he wasn't in any hurry, in any rush to go tend to his friend. In fact, it took him over four days to get there. He was in no rush, and Lazarus ends up dying. It was a sickness that led to death. And you just get right from the get-go, Jesus isn't afraid of death. He's not intimidated by it. He knows he's going to conquer it, but his friends don't know that. And so we're going to look at John first. We're going to look at 11, verse 17 to 21. And this is what it says. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here we get from Martha a sense of regret. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I thought we were friends. Don't you love us? You knew what he was going through. Why, why, why weren't you here? You ever wrestle with that kind of sense of regret, even sense of confusion? You ever have that in your life where you, there, those if I would have comes out of your mouth or just harbors in your mind? If, if I would have made this decision back when, I wouldn't be where I am now. If I would have been wiser with my money at this time, man, I'd be so much further along. If I would have thought through this plan in my life more, I would be more, more of a success, a success today. If I would have done better at school, I'd be in a better situation. If I would have had chose a better marriage, I would be doing better in my life right now. And a lot of times we can indirectly or directly turn it on God, deep down, it, it, we could say to God, if you would have just done something about this, where were you at? Why did you let this happen? Do you not care? Are you even real? Are you even present? Where are you? And then we keep reading on, picking up with verse 23. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
And you get here, kind of this, like, Martha here, and, and Mary, she actually, later on in, in that chapter, she wrestles with the same question. She says it to Jesus as well. This, this confusion, this sense of confusion. Jesus didn't help her brother while he, while he was sick. But she believes one day, you know, all's going to be made well. They, she's wrestling with that theology. Like, okay, I know one day you're going to make it all good again. But what's going on right now? We were friends. Where, where were you? And there's just, you don't get much hope in that present moment. Yeah, that's, that's sometime way down the road. I know one day you're going to go do it, but what about now? What's going on now? What's up with you now? What are you doing? I don't know if you've ever struggled with God in that way. I know for me growing up, I've actually suffered some severe pain and abuse and rejection from a dad as a kid. That's a part of my story. And as I've been older, as I'm getting older now, and I look back at that, I've, I've wrestled, especially a few years ago, I, I began to wrestle with those kind of if statements in my later years, if, especially with God, if, if you would have just gave me a better living situation growing up, God, I wouldn't be so messed up right now, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I wouldn't struggle with rejection issues. I wouldn't struggle with trust issues. Why, why did you put me in that situation? That wouldn't have been my plan, God. What? You're the God of all. Okay, I believe that. You're here to make everything new, but what's up with that? I got these wounds now that, like, kind of put a weight on my life that's pretty grievous and hard. And, and, and especially looking down the road and, and thinking of a future hope, I can even kind of feel bleak in the moment. Like, okay, you're going to come. I know you're going to make everything new in Jesus one day. But kind of right now, things kind of stink, and I guess I just got to suck it up with my brokenness and get along with it until you make everything new one day. And it's just kind of there's not much hope in the moment. It's just something way down the road. God, why are you doing this now? And, I've, and God, by his grace, has been helping me with that throughout the years. But even recently, some of you guys don't know this, but I've been struggling with a lot of body ailments for the last few years, and especially with the last several months. I was actually just on crutches just until like a week ago. By God's grace, he's doing some really cool things with me. Where he, but I still got to be sitting down because he's still doing healing stuff. But, but I've been feeling very slowed down with body stuff. And I'm just like, God, why? I could get so much more done. This isn't my, I wouldn't think this up. This is messing with my psyche. I just, I'm struggling with depression and my body's not working because I'm not that old. I'm not that old. And it's funny, I, t- I meet with these doctors and physicians. The first thing that comes out of, the, out of, out of their mouth is like, I, you are not that old. Why are you going through all this stuff? And I'm just like, I know, you don't have to keep telling me that. Talk to God, you know. No, but, but it's like, God, what, what's going on? What are you up to? And there can be some unrest and some confusion there. I don't know if you've ever struggled with that with God. And maybe for you, it's been an unexpected loss, a career path that you were on, and all of a sudden, you're not on it anymore. And you're just kind of shaken. You're confused. What's up with that? What's going on in my life? Maybe it's a loss of money. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a relationship that's been fractured. And you're like, what's going on? Maybe it's someone that you've lost really close to you that were near and dear to you, and then all, all of a sudden they're, n- they're not around anymore. And you're confused, and you're like, well, God, wh- 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 what's, what's up with that? This is painful. Or maybe you're just confused about where you're at in life right now. You're like, how did I, how did I, I get here? I thought I would just be much further along. I thought I'd have a better job. I thought I'd have more things figured out. I thought I'd have more friends. I thought I'd have a girlfriend by now. I thought I'd have a boyfriend by now. I thought I'd be married. I thought I'd have kids. Like, what? This isn't what I planned. You're just confused. 
Maybe that's you. But for Martha and Mary and for us, we need to remember the story isn't over. We don't know the whole picture in what we're dealing with sometimes. And that's why the Bible talks a ton about waiting on God and fixing our eyes on him. And that's why I think Jesus takes Martha to his next point. And we, we can look at it right here in verse 25. Jesus says this to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying the answer to your regret, uh, to our confusion, the answer to all questions, he's saying, it's me, which is really odd. He's saying, it's me. Look at me. Resurrection is not just something that's going to happen one day far down the road. John is wanting to hone us in on the reality that resurrection is the very identity of the person of Jesus. It's him. He's, He's not just fully man. He's fully God. He's the very source of life itself which has massive implications for you and me today, right now, in the present. God's resurrection power is personal. It's intimate. Do you believe? Do I believe? Do we believe? God wants to teach us. We can reach out to Jesus right now and find life. The life we're truly looking for. Not the thing we might have lost, the thing that might got taken from us, the confusion. It's him right now. He's here. He's the one that roots us and grounds us in the very essence of what life is about. He's our hope. It's in him alone. That's what he's saying. And we are to grab a hold of him. Grab a hold of him because he's real. And though you might not see him, his spirit is here. And he wants to waken up the inner man to say, you are here. I see you and I want you. In the midst of whatever's falling apart and whatever's being confused. Because if you hone in on what's confusing, you won't see the presence of the risen Lord. It's only in him do things make sense. That's it. That's what he's trying to make clear. That's what he's trying to say here. He wants to open our eyes, our blinders, to see his, his, his presence. And as we read on, Jesus has this really powerful encounter with Mary. Picking up with verse 33, it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Then he said, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. It's really powerful scripture right there. Though Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the grave, he takes time to weep with his friend. He was moved to profound sorrow. That's real deep sorrow that he's feeling at the death of his friend, but also at the grief of his friends and the suffering that they themselves are feeling. Mary and Martha, I mean, if you think about it, they must have went through immense pain and hurt watching their brother who they intimately grew up with, suffering sickness and pain, and with no modern medication here. And she just sat with him, watching him suffer till his last breath. That's a lot of pain, right? And Jesus comes alongside Mary, and he enters into that pain with her. How gracious of our king, right? He just sits with her in that. 
And I just want to say, God cares about your tears. He cares about your pains. In fact, Psalm 56, 8, it says that God, he keeps track of every one of our tossings and turnings in bed. Our sleepless nights, he collects our tears like in a bottle. But one that's like infinitely huge, right? It's massive. He keeps record of every ache we experience. Like, that's amazing. Like, as a parent, we parents know, like, when your kids are freaking out in bed because they're in a lot of pain and they're sick, we get up and we run and we care for them. That's God 24-7 to every ache and pain. And Jesus is showing us something here. In your confused state, when we're wondering, where are you? Where are you, God? This is painful. He's not saying to us, suck it up, man. I rose from the grave. Get on with your faith. He doesn't say that. When he says, look to him, feel his resurrected power, that's going to look a lot of times like crying. Do you know your soul needs to weep with the risen Lord? Some of you here, your souls are bursting at the seams, just waiting to just cry and be with God and feel his love at a deep, deep way because you've got deep, deep wounds. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is here, he's alive, and he wants to heal you at a deep level. And let you know it's going to be okay. He gots it. He gots you. He gots every situation. But do you know that being with the resurrected Lord, walking with the resurrected Lord, a lot of times looks like looking at him and just weeping. That might not seem really glamorous and powerful to you, but it is to him. And he'll do something with it. He'll do something with it. And then we read on. Jesus comes to the tomb and In verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you, sweet girl, mad Matt there, that if you believed, so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Isn't that powerful? Wow, hallelujah. The power there. And don't miss it. This is the kind of spiritual work Jesus came to do to you this morning, right now, here. God's not raising Lazarus from the dead merely because he's feeling sad and pity. Lazarus is going to die again. He wants to wake everyone up to who he is, to wake people up to belief, to wake people up to realize God's presence is in his son fully. He is the full son of God and draw everyone back to belief so that God could have a relationship with his people. You see, Jesus' death, that's going to happen months later in this story, it was brutal as we talked about in Good, as it's, as is talked about in Good Friday. He was hated. By leaders. He died like a criminal. He was seen as one who is cursed of God on the cross. 
and yet he hung there and did it because he's doing it for the sake of us, for the sake of people saying, I need to bring you back to God. I'm not cursed. You guys are, and I'm dying in your place so that you could be united with my Father who I'm united with. And he suffered, and he suffered for the sake of us. He died to rescue sinners like you and me. And because apart from Jesus, here's the reality. We are very bad off apart from him. That's the point here. We need Jesus to live in our place for us. Because the gospel of Jesus, it's not about making and taking you from being a bad person and making you a better person. That's not the gospel. It's not about taking you from being someone who needs help and giving you a little bit of help. That's not the gospel. It's not a self-help message to kind of give you a bit of a crutch, to get a little bit better along in your life, to make your life a little bit more accessible, successful, to make your day a little bit more brighter. That's not the gospel. Jesus promised way more. He gives way more to us than that. He takes spiritually dead people and he makes us alive. That's the gospel. You're given a new heart. Without Christ, we're not just bad. We're we're actually dead. We're spiritually dead to God. And we need to be made new. There's nothing we can do except for Christ coming to rescue us. The Bible says that all have sinned and cannot do a single thing to improve our standing with God. But it's by faith alone in that Christ has lived for us that he died and was buried and he rose again. And he's now at the right hand of the Father advocating, saying, come, come, come and receive my power. Come and be with me. Come, let me pour out my love on you. Come and depend on me more than anything else. And I will lead you. I will deliver all my promises. That's the gospel. It's about resurrection. It's about trusting right now, right now. Him being enough. Him being enough. Our lives are to be marked by death and resurrection, death and resurrection, death and resurrection. His power from death, he draws out new life. My abusive dad story growing up, Jesus has risen me from the grave in that story. He's brought me into a church family where he's reparented me over this last decade, bringing me new mothers and fathers, uh, spiritually speaking, teaching me what it means to be loved and to know love, and to know forgiveness, and to know what it means. You can be vulnerable and trust another human being with yourself, and it's going to be okay because he's going to hold your hand, because God's never going to let you go. He's repaired to me in that. That's taking me from death and bringing life. Where I've harbored bitterness, he's brought forgiveness. That's resurrected power. And there's been times in my life where he's totally done a career change on me. I remember I thought I was going to be career military. I was military for five years, and one day he took it away. He took it away. And I thought my life was over. My life is dead. It's done. And from that, he's brought a whole new way of living that I never thought that was going to be what I actually really wanted. In fact, the road I was going down, it was just coping mechanisms to deal with my daddy wounds. I didn't know that. But he takes stuff away. And it will feel like death. But he does it to bring us closer to what's the point of life. It's him. It's the very presence of Jesus. And you find life in that. And that's what he does with us, and even recently with my physical body stuff, with the crutches and all the pain and all the agony and, like, us slowing down. What's the point? He brings life out of it. I need to depend on him more. He's the answer. And through that slowing down, he helps me realize, and this is what he's been telling me the last few weeks, I'm learning greater dependency on him. Like, oh, 
It's not in all my effort and work. It's in being with you. But man, these crutches helped me realize that, God. I thought they were what I thought was death. It's actually turned out to be life. So anyways, that's been a little bit of my story. That's what he's been doing. I'm kind of just testifying to that because we kind of need to testify to that as God's people because sometimes we grow, we get in a stupor where we, we kind of forget that he's alive and he's at work. And when we testify with our own stories, we start realizing, like what Brittany said, what I'm going to share, now Rachel, you can come on up. I'm going to have my sister share. We wake up to like, oh man, he's here. He does stuff in flesh and blood, and, and, and blood realities, like in intimate ways. And I believe he wants to do that with you this morning, regardless of where you might be at. And I just want to say this too before Rachel shares. It doesn't end with just me. It never ends with just you. This is for the sake of bringing living hope, not just to an individual, but to a community, to bring living hope to a city, to let people start walking and hearing and seeing what is up with these people. Why do they do what they do? And they see the presence of God, and they start worshiping him. That's how God works. And so we got to testify to that stuff. Amen? So I have my sister Rachel here. Let's, let's give her a clap. She's coming up here to share. And, and she's going to testify to something recent God's been doing in her life. Um, that's, that's resurrection power. So, um, yeah, sister, glad you're here. Thank you for coming up and, and willing to do this. And, uh, yeah, you have the floor. The, the nursery? Hi. Um, I'm excited to share some of my story with you today and um, actually like what Randy was just saying, um, it's a gift to me to get to testify about the goodness of the Lord in your presence. Um, So thank you. Uh, About four years ago, I entered into a major and excruciating depression that lasted for about 18 months. Since then, a lot of my significant relationships have changed due to people moving, life circumstances, sin, and that very depression that I had. Some of my deepest emotional and relational wounds were sustained during that time, and it's taken years to heal. One of those relationships was with one of my best friends. She and I equally wounded each other, one lying and the other trying to control. Our trust was broken. It took four or five attempts over three years a ton of prayer by people trying to help us reconcile and people who could see a future for us that we could not see. And a solid six months of me going to counseling to get to a place last summer where a real vulnerable conversation was possible. We met and we talked about our sin, how God forgave us and healed us individually, and then extended that forgiveness to each other. It was beautiful and true, and I felt my heart snag on something that I didn't totally understand. I tried to ignore it for months, this weird, heart-snaggy feeling, because things were good with her, right? Except when I saw her, or thought about her, or thought that I might be at a thing that she might also be at. Um, So, you know, all the time. I would get mad, or fearful, or anxious, and I felt like something was trying to escape my chest. And that just made me freak out. Did I do this forgiveness thing wrong? Is it just how it is and everybody fakes the forgiveness thing and is lying to you when they're telling you how amazing it is to forgive the people who hurt you? Was there something wrong with me? So I did what most of us do with unanswerable questions and existential dread in the middle of winter. I pushed it aside and tried to get on with my life. (laughs) Because that's helpful. Um, Then this February, um, God interrupted my attempts at managing my pain when Justin Caravacal shared about his daughter's illness and physical healing, God told me that my heart was behaving in a really similar way to her body, 
I had experienced so much emotional pain from my depression and the circumstances surrounding it that I became paralyzed in the face of anything I knew or feared would cause me more pain. Mm. I refused to walk in the reality I wanted to live out because I was afraid. I mulled over this idea with my counselor and all the people who were praying for me and with God. Um, and he brought me to Romans 7 where Paul says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The evil of my unforgiveness hit me. The choice that I was making to remain in unforgiveness hit me. I desperately wanted to pass off remaining in unforgiveness as a result of things that happened to me rather than a choice that I was making, but I could not do that. A little further in chapter 7, we see, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And from that, God gave me a rallying cry for my heart. With God's help, I can teach my body of death what it means to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And I needed that rallying cry. The issue was not with my friend. The issue was with me. How could she know that I had this minor crisis anytime we shared space? It wasn't possible. This was something that I needed to walk out with Jesus, and I needed Jesus to breathe life into my body of death. A little more than a month ago, my friend texted me to invite me to a party she was hosting. My body of death did not want to go, but I knew that I should. Uh, that same fear was creeping up in my chest, bidding me to avoid the possibility of pain and rejecting the idea that God or I had any say in working towards restoring our friendship with love and compassion. I said that day in here, but it was really like a couple weeks. I said no to my body of death so that I could say yes with him and to choose to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. I was able to extend peace to my friend who I hurt so long ago and continued to hurt by choosing to remain in unforgiveness. More than that, I said no to my body of death so that I could relearn how to trust that God knows me, that he knows what's best for me, and he will not lead me down a path that he has not forged for me. Amen. Amen. I went to the party with another person because otherwise I would have backed out. Um, and it was kind of weird, and it was kind of good, and it meant a lot to my friend. It's certainly not perfect yet, and I don't really know what's next with her. But the rallying cry that God gave me feels like it will be a companion of mine for the rest of my life. And now I feel things aside from fear. I feel hope. I feel bravery. I feel confidence. I feel gratitude. And I feel security that God is with me. Amen. God is showing me how to teach my body of death what it means to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus because I've been made new in Christ. Amen. And he's showing me that all the time. And I still feel very new at it. When I was thinking about this, it's like, feel like a giraffe who's like super awkward and has like really long legs and doesn't know how to walk but I don't really know how to walk so there's that in this like awkward giraffeness I need his help literally every time um, and each time that means that my heart changes first and there are things to do with my actual physical body to walk in his power second even if I'm afraid God started a new creation work in me a decade ago when he saved me before I was depressed the word of God was implanted in me Though I was paralyzed, the Holy Spirit, working in my darkness, uh, began to complete the work that God began to renew me day by day into the image of Jesus. The word of God is trustworthy, friends, and it will not return void. In all of this, I've seen that God's correction is never cruel. It is persistent and firm and kind. The Father is always kind to me. 
Healing and forgiveness mattered to the Father even when it didn't matter to me. The Holy Spirit did his job to bring to mind the teachings of Jesus even when I didn't want it. I glossed over the two years I spent ignoring this, the 18 months of counseling and the six months that I sat with that heart snaggy feeling. They were real and long and painful. But the Father was persistent to make sure that I got to a place of healing and wholeness. He gave me a way out of my stuckness. In the most surprising way, which really shouldn't have been surprising because all of these things, um, God has used this process of learning to forgive as a way to resurrect my heart and breathe new life into my body of death. Forgiveness is worth the effort and the cost, friends. And if it wasn't, we would have nothing. Amen. Well, God, I just want to make this clear. God wants to touch your life this morning. Jesus wants to draw you close to him. He wants to raise up hope in your heart. You might be at a place where you hear any one of these things that we've talked about this morning that's been sung or shared or spoken or taught or just heard from the scriptures. And I just want to say there's nothing more powerful than when someone being carried out of death by the very presence of Jesus who's leading them himself to a time to rise up and wake up and realize there's healing to be had, there's comfort to be felt. And a rejoicing to be had in his very presence by his mercy and his grace and his healing on you. And that's what he wants to do this morning. That's what he wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do with us. And some of you might be here, and there's a new birth happening right now, even as we sit here. There's a lot of natural things happening, laughing or thinking and processing and whatever. But deep down, there's something weird happening where you're just looking at Jesus, and he's very attractive. And maybe he's a very different Jesus than you've heard or ever thought of. And he does a thing way more powerful than you ever knew. And it's real. And you're tasting it right now. That's the spirit. Don't stop it. Don't be freaked out by it. Embrace it. Enter into it. Because that's God just taking you home and bringing you to the place you've always been looking for. And you're deep down always wanting. And he's saying, now's the time. Today's the day. You're gonna, I'm going to raise you up from death to life. And I'm going to kiss you and bring you home and teach you what real life is. And others of you might be here, and you have been walking with Jesus, and you know this, and you've heard this message before, but man, you're in a season of hurt. There's bottle-up tears right now, pushed, suppressed tears, I mean, like pushed down, and there's just hurt, and there's pain, and maybe there's fear, maybe there's confusion. Maybe there's even some regret. Maybe you're stuck a little bit, even in some, like, past thinking, past hurts. And you just need an overflow of the presence of Jesus in you. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is here to touch you in that deep way and pour out himself in you with resurrected hope right now. And what I want to, I'm going to invite any one of you to do, whether you're the other or this or that, you know, I'm going to invite you in a second just to stand up and acknowledge it because I would love to pray for you. Because if you're in a place and you've been maybe stuck with unforgiveness or stuck with bitterness or you've got some serious hurts or pains that people have done to you or you're just feeling sad, depressed, you just want some help. The power of prayer in a moment like this is real. It's transformative. And so I want to invite any one of you, if you're here right now, to disregard anybody else that's here in this room as if you're alone, which is you and Jesus, just to stand up and say, I, I want that. I, I, I would love to be prayed for in that way. I would love some of that resurrected power poured out in me. I want that. 
If that's you, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand up. I would, I'd love to have you prayed for. Okay, thanks.